Well, welcome back to Professor Jay's classroom. This is Professor Jay, and I'm coming to you from live from the wonderful Republic of Texas. And we are going to now go into a subject that I think the media has definitely been talking about um, ad nauseum for the last two weeks. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little tired of... Um, the vitriol and the hyperbole that's that's being spewed uh, by members of the media uh, regarding the president of the United States. We had um, the squad. Uh, they, you know, have their little interview after the tweets. Uh, we have the tweet about Rep. Cummings um, by the president. And so today what I want to do is I want to sit back and I want to take a look. Not only do I want to take a look at racism as a uh, cause du jour, um, and also I want to take a look at um, ultimately racism as a policy um, and racism in America today. So that's what we're going to look at in today's class. Um, again, I have to, you know, for all transparency, I have to admit, yes, I am a white man living in the South. So for those, for those of you out there, you may be going, well, that, I immediately lose credibility. Boom, you're done. Get out of here. Get out of here, you white guy. Well, here's the thing. If, if that's your initial response, if your initial gut reaction to me wanting to talk about race is, well, you can't talk about race unless you're uh, the oppressed uh, group of color that, you know, only they can talk about race. Well, then that in itself is a racist comment, and you need to put that into check. If we are going to have real conversation about race in this country, if we're going to see real solidarity come out of the race, if we are going to continue to reduce racism in our society, uh, one of the things that you're going to have to find out is uh, all people should be allowed to come to the table and discuss race. All people have experienced racism. Just because you're white doesn't mean you haven't experienced racism. Uh, I can tell you from fact, growing up as a white man uh, and a white boy and in, in going to predominantly African-American and predominantly Hispanic schools, I have suffered extreme racism as a result of that. Okay, um, Not only to the point of physical violence to my person, as a result of being one of the few white people that actually went to school. So again, um, I have experienced racism uh, myself. Also being a teacher, I've, I've actually been turned down for jobs um, because I was a white person. And not only white, but white conservative. I've, um, I've been turned down for jobs um, for that reason alone. Um, and I can go into that at another time, but I've experienced it. Okay. And, and again, if your net, if your knee jerk reaction to me, even saying that is, well, good, you know, that's justice for all that. No, that's revenge. That's not justice. Justice brings healing to both sides. Understand that justice brings healing to both sides. In fact, justice, uh, matter of fact, Anthony Scalia, the, um, the, um, the, the Supreme Court justice who passed away a couple of years ago, uh, one of the things that he said is the best decisions he ever, he ever wrote made both sides angry. Okay. So real justice 
is where it brings healing to both sides. And so if one side is, is mitigated or put in a lower class as a result of the other side, that's not real justice. And that's how we can look at justice from a policy standpoint and go, was that justice or was that revenge? So let's look at racism from a perspective of what's going on now. I would argue that, um, let's go to the very word racism. Okay, and I'm not going to be condescending here and I'm not going to talk about, okay, racism, what does racism mean? No, 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 I'm going to leave that up to the uh, condescending media people, um, especially at channels like CBS and NBC, who held a a press conference a couple of uh, days ago or a week ago um, where they got a bunch of women, white suburban women from Texas and sat him down and said, you know, read Donald Trump's uh, tweet, which we're going to talk about here in a second, uh, read Donald Trump's tweet about um, the squad and about how they should go back from where they came from and asked him if that was a racist comment. And they said no. And then in a very condescending way, the reporter read the definition of racism to these women. As if these women were not smart enough to even know what racism is. And so I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go in that same direction. I'm not gonna do a cursory, you know, Google search for the word racism. I encourage you to do the same if you really aren't sure what racism is. But understand that we're gonna look at this word. Okay, racism is another word, in other words, a feeling of superiority, okay, is really what it is. Uh rooted in I would be honest with you, rooted in a feeling of inferiority. All right. Um, racism, uh, back in the 90s, we used to talk about all the time that, you know, racism is a result of ignorance. It's a result of ignorance. Um, I don't necessarily say it's a result of ignorance per se. Um, yes, I do think some level of ignorance is there. Um, again, you know, if you talk to racists, as a matter of fact, one of the most racist counties in the country is Wise County, Texas. Um, that used to be the home of the KKK here in Texas. And uh, my wife is from there. My wife grew up there. And one of the things that she used to tell me all the time is, you know, there was like one black family that lived in Bridgeport. And um, that family was okay. You know, that family was okay. But all the rest of black families were not okay. But that black family, they were good people. You see what I'm saying? So that's what we mean by, you know, racism can come from ignorance. All right. But the, the inverse is also true. Um, having been a white teacher in a predominantly uh, African-American or predominantly Hispanic um, schools, I can tell you there is a lot of ignorance in regards to the white race uh, to people of color. Um, A lot. A lot of stereotypes that are not true. Um, A lot of stereotypes that they believe, that they believe wholeheartedly, they refuse to believe. And, And that's another thing, too, that we see as well especially in oppressed minority groups, they refuse to believe that they're wrong because they're told they're not wrong, okay? Um, They're told that what they feel is valid because they're oppressed. Well, no, no, no. They are just as capable of racism because why? Why Why are minorities capable of racism? Well, let's look at racism. Racism is a human problem. It's not a race problem. It's a human problem, okay? 
feelings of inferiority, feelings of superior that feelings of superiority that come from feelings of inferiority. Uh, that's a human problem. That's a hard issue. Okay, if you read the Bible, there's only one race. There's only one race of humans. It's the human race. Okay, God only created one race of humans. Now, how we adapted to our environments is another is another conversation. But there's only one race of humans. We all stem from the same two people. And in fact, scientists, those of you who may not agree with what the Bible says, scientists in Sweden just proved that we all share common DNA of two people. That date back. Now, we can young earth it, old earth it, whatever, but it dates back to what they say is 100,000 years. That we all, can't, we all descended from the same two people. Well, if that's the case then there's only one race of people. We just have different levels of melanin. And that's the truth. So again, racism is not a race problem, meaning all these different races hate each other. No, it's a human problem. It's a human issue. So looking at the issue of race, are we helping or are we hurting the cause of race by using the accusation of racism so frequently? Um, I look. I look at the use of words very carefully. I, I love communication. Um, it's the reason why I'm doing this podcast. Is because I like talking, and I like um, my past. Of what I did in Congress when I worked on Capitol Hill was I was a, I was a uh, staff writer. So words mean things, and words can inspire, but words can destroy as well. And words actually overused can lose their meaning. Okay, uh, a primary example of this is the word rape. During the eighties and nineties, uh, the hyperbole of the left, especially in regards to environmentalism, was "We are raping the planet." All right, loggers were raping forests. Uh, we were raping the planet, raping the planet. They used it ad nauseum, to the point now that we don't call le- we don't call legal rape, okay, or illegal rape, the act of raping another person. We no longer call it rape, and the reason why is because it doesn't have the same effect. In fact, it lost its meaning in the, to such a point in the nineties that they stopped teaching rape um, victims to yell rape. They started teaching them to yell fire. Because people will come and look. We're sick, morbid, twisted people. We want to look at a fire. People will come and look at a fire, but they won't come to help a person who's being raped. Okay? So understand, words lose their meaning. Okay? So looking at racism, looking at the hyperbole of the left and how that they want to use racism... Uh, to forward a cause, to embarrass the President of the United States, to embarrass white conservatives, to embarrass uh, policies they disagree with, they want to call it racism, okay? Is that helping the cause of race, or is it hurting? Is it helping us eliminate racism, or is it taking and removing the very visceral response that comes from when we hear the word racism because we don't have a visceral response when we hear the word rape anymore in fact rape is even a joke now okay but 
what do we use instead? We had to find a new word in order to make people understand the gravity of what happens in that action. Okay. And so they went and they went, okay, well, we can't use rape anymore. So now we use sexual assault. Well, understand this in the legal definitions of rape and sexual assault. Those are two separate issues. If I, if, if, if I, as a man walk up to a woman and I grab her rear unsolicited, I just walk up to her and I grab her rear. I have sexually assaulted her. Okay. I've molested her bottom and I have sexually assaulted her, especially if my intent was sexual gratification or to sexually assault her. But now we take rape and we put it in that same category that demeans rape. Okay. Rape is not me touching her butt. Okay. Or her bottom. Excuse me. That is not me raping a woman. I did not rape her. Yes, I assaulted her. That is an unwanted touch. Okay, the definition of assault is an unwanted touch. But I did not rape her. And now we're putting that in the same category. And legally, they're not. Okay, and, and seriously, watch the news stories. You never hear about women being raped anymore. Now they're sexually assaulted. Even in the stories about um, the, you know, the Me Too movement. Right? They're not sexually harassed anymore. Well, why is that? Why aren't we calling sexual harassment sexual harassment anymore? We're not calling it sexual harassment anymore because, again, in the 90s, that phrase got completely worn out with the Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas, who is now a Supreme Court justice, that whole scandal. Sexual harassment became the big deal. All right? We had movies about it, you know, Disclosure by you know, Michael Crichton. All right? All of these different, all of these different movies and things like that about sexual harassment, sexual harassment. Well, now it doesn't carry the same weight, and so we can't. So now we call sexual, even sexual harassment, we call that sexual assault. So coming back to racism, we have to look at: is the action that is being committed racist? How can we determine if it's racist? All right. Because again, is racism, racism in itself is a motive. Okay. It can be an overt act, but the, what makes an overt act racist is the motive. And how can we put motive onto a person unless we know the heart of that person? So what I want to do is I want to take a look at the series of tweets that Donald Trump put out uh, regarding um, the tweet uh, regarding the squad back in uh, July of 14th, okay? And I'm just going to read this. I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to tell me where in this tweet is the racism that he's being accused of. And then we're going to do the same thing with the Rep. Cummings tweet. So Donald Trump tweets... On July 14th, so interesting to see progressive, quote, quote unquote, progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, parentheses, if they even have a functioning government at all, parentheses close, now loudly 
and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came, then come back and show us how it is done? These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out tra free travel arrangements. Okay. So looking at that and looking at the context of which he said it, the part that people are claiming is that's racist is why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken crime? Why don't they go back where they came from? Okay, first of all, he's referring to the squad. In that, if you look at the comments of the squad, Ilian Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Ocasio-Cortez, and the other, you know, the only woman who doesn't claim more of an ethnic minority status, an immigration status, is the African-American woman part of the squad. I don't even remember her name. Okay. But Rashida Tlaib claims her Palestinian heritage more than she claims her own American heritage. Ocasio-Cortez claims her Puerto Rican heritage more than she claims any other heritage. And then Ilan Amar is... She is a Somali refugee who came to this country, naturalized, and became a U.S. congressman. So again, they want to belittle America. This is not an un, this is not an unfair comment. Okay, people use this all the time. So to t say that Donald Trump is racist in this comment, you you're really really searching. You're really reaching that comment of go back. All right, but again, if we look at that comment, where in his action? at that moment can you say that where can you say that the that the motivation there where can you say that the motivation there is racism I mean, I'm, I'm interested in knowing where in that is racism. Because again, there's no overt racism in that comment. He's not calling them names. He's calling the countries which they, they, their families originated from names. And are these not accurate assessments? I mean, Somalia is a dump. I mean, Somalia is a war-torn country where extreme corruption occurs. If not, if it wasn't, Ilian Omar would not have come to America. All right? Just watch Black Hawk Down. It hasn't gotten any better. Uh, Rashida, Rashida Tlaib, is, her family's from Palestine. All right? Hamas and Hezbollah have ruined that country. The PLO ruined any hope of peace between Israel and pa the Palestinians. This is a woman who hates Israel once it wiped off the face of the planet, all right? And so, again, and then Puerto Rico, 
we have an American citizen whose father was from Puerto Rico. All right, she's raised with stories of, of the destitution of Puerto Rico. She's raised with these ideas of anti-colonialism. Her father was probably an anti-colonial radical. Okay? And yet, the people are always put up to a vote to leave the United States. They always have a referendum, and it always fails. The people of Puerto Rico don't want to leave the United States. They're proud to be Americans. They're proud to be protected by America. They're proud to be part of this system. And here's the thing. There's nobody in America keeping Puerto Rico. We don't get enough of, you know, other than the fine, wonderful people of Puerto Rico who come here and immigrate here and serve in our military and do amazing things in this country, what do we necessarily get from Puerto Rico that makes it valuable to us as a colony? I mean, it's not a colony. It's a a protectorate. Okay? Um, So, again, if they want to leave, we're happy to let them leave. If they want to become a state, we'll happily allow them to become a state. It's up to them. All right, they have self-determination as much as any other protectorate in the in the United States protectorates, any other territory. It's up to them if they want to become an American citizen. If they want to become Americans, it is up to them. We are not forcing anything on them. So again, and then I mean the governor just stepped down because of corruption. So where is the racist? Where is the racism? Well, you'll see. Well, look at his past comments. Look at his past actions, okay? I'm looking at a president who's done more for the African-American community than any other president by his policies and by his actions prior to becoming president. I also see a man who's hired tons of African-Americans who was a friend of Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton before he became president. So, again, where is the racism? All right? We'll, we'll get we'll get closer to that. So again, we're we're looking at the tweet that we're looking at the tweet that you know Trump goes on and t- calls Baltimore rat infested, calls Baltimore a slum, accuses Cummings of doing nothing. Again, they want to say that the rats are the, what b- Trump was calling race, you know, blacks rats. No, he was referring to literal rats. Baltimore is a cesspool. All right, the there are people there are people who go online who've been they've been doing interviews lately, and they're they are pissed at Cummings too. So he's only reflecting what they are trying to say. And if anything, his tweets have brought a mirror to what Baltimore looks like. And again, Trump is only responding to Cummings lashing out at him. So we have to look at we have to look at the totality of the man. We have to look at the totality of the comments. And again, you cannot unless you're really reaching, you cannot find racism in his comments unless you want it there. And that apparently is what happened with Don Lemon uh last night in the debate. He he called him a racist twice. We have Julian Castro, what a complete waste of space, and this is coming from a Texan, um, calling Donald Trump a racist. Just flat out, he's a racist. And again, if he's a racist, we're all racists. All white people are racists. You have to understand that in the eyes of these people. All right, Especially white, conservative, Christian men. All racists. 
so looking looking at these comments and again the these comments have been dissected ad nauseum all right and i really didn't want to have to do a podcast regarding racism but after what i saw last night in the the, the democratic debate in detroit of all places uh and that and, and nobody is even talking about the fact that detroit a democratically controlled city one of the greatest one of the greatest cities in american history all right, ran by Republicans until the Democrats took over in the 1970s, and after that, fell in it in complete disrepair. The Democrat they have their debate in Detroit, which is the complete case study, an example of why you don't want Democrats anywhere near your city and in control of your city because they will run your city into the ground, and yet that's where they have their debate. I love it. I love the juxtaposition of that debate. But anyways, so you have this idea. So why is this important? Well, it's important for this reason. Accusing a person of racism, you have to accuse them of the motive of racism. Actually being a racist. In other words, you have to know what they were thinking at the time that they made their statement. And that's scary, especially when you take into consideration that we have hate crimes legislation and that we want to extend, exp- expand hate crime legislation. And then before you know that, then you're going to have hate crime policies. All right. And I remember when I was in I was working in Congress in 2007, the hate crime legislation bill was being considered and there was a big uproar in the, in the conservative Christian community because there was a provision. They were afraid it was a it was a slippery slope, and that ultimately Christians were going to have to be forced to preach, or that the the government was going to dictate to Christians that they couldn't preach against homosexuality from the pulpit. Now, why would Christians have that feeling? Well, that's what's done in England. That's what's done in uh, Canada. That's what's done in New Zealand and in Australia. You can't preach from the pulpit that homosexuality is a sin. You cannot publicly condemn homosexuality. If you do, you go to jail. Okay. Um, and if you don't believe me, just look it up. Cursory search. Go go to DuckDuckGo or whatever search engine you want to use, and you'll find it. Okay? That being said, so that's what hate crimes legislation leads to. Okay? And why is that scary? Well, what is a hate crime? Well, a hate crime is typically one involving violence that is motivated by prejudice on the basis of race, religion, sexual orientation, or other grounds. That's the definition. Or other grounds. That's interesting to me because now what are we doing? We are granting special consideration based on race, religion, sexual orientation, basically anything else. And it stiffens the penalties of the person convicted of a hate crime. Makes it, makes it, makes your crime more special because you committed it against another person of race, a different race. Okay, first of all, if we implement that, whites will be charged more often, especially um, if they commit a crime against an African-American or Hispanic or an Asian, whites will be charged at a higher rate with higher penalties than an African-American who commits a crime against a white person or Hispanic against white, okay? But also, too, if you understand the motivation behind crime to begin with, all crimes are hate crimes. All crimes are hate crimes. 
There has to be a certain level of hatred in your heart towards your fellow man to commit a crime against them. Even, even shoplifting. Shoplifting involves a level of hate towards the store that you're shoplifting from, towards the owner of the store. All right, there, there are no victimless crimes. Okay, and so as a result of that, all crimes are hate crimes. But why is it nefarious? Again, it's going to motivated by prejudice. How are you going to prove that? How are you going to prove that a person is motivated by prejudice? How can you prove that? And aren't you motivated by prejudice anyways? You're, if you commit a crime, against, especially if you commit a violent crime, which is what this is, a violent crime against a person. All violent crimes involve hatred. Rape's a, a, a crime of hatred, not of sexual perversion. Okay, Most rapists are misogynists. They hate women. All right, It's not about you know getting their rocks off. It's about dominance. That's, hate, that's hatred towards women. So again, involving... So what is this? Well, it makes, it makes a special category, which, again, is unconstitutional. We're not supposed to have special categories in the Constitution. We're not supposed to have what's called suspect classes in the Constitution. The, the, in the Constitution, the Constitution, this concept within the Constitution stipulates, and it comes from the biblical, the biblical order, that we are not to show difference to any person. Because God is not a respecter of men, including the poor in judgment. So you see, even in the Bible, the Bible says, no, this is, this is not right. So when we're looking at, so racism being used, ultimately, they can choose any, they, they can choose any crime. If hate crime legislation is passed, all right? Now, a lot of cities have hate crime ordinances, okay? But as a, on a federal level, we're very specific about who we charge with a hate crime, all right? But if we continue to be loose and fast with this accusation of, of racism in order to make political head, headway, in order to embarrass a president, and in order to fire up our base to get them to vote and to take votes away from a president who won more of the black vote than any Republican since the 1960s. We're going to have it. We're going to have an issue because now they can accuse anybody of a hate crime. And that's the problem. That's the problem we're facing here is you're, you're, you're assigning motive that you don't know and you can't prove. And it's dangerous. Also, when you take into consideration, and I, and I hearken back to the book by uh, Wilfred Riley, who is a professor, um, an African-American professor, who has spent several years uh, looking at the epidemic of hate crimes and concludes that the vast majority of the hate crimes that are reported in the news are actual fake hate crimes. 
that are committed either by people within the same race or committed by people who are not racist but are trying to invoke this idea that hate crimes are going on, that racism exists. You know, they're creating a fake crisis in order to get whatever issue they want promulgated. Um, and he goes on to outline that several churches, um, it was their parishioners in order to bring recognition to the church, in order to gain sympathy for their, for their, all right. Um, there are a lot of, in, in according to this book, most hate, and, and he released his book at a very time, very timely, um, release, uh, during the Jesse Smollett scandal where Jesse Smollett desperate for greater recognition, greater stardom, you know, more inclusion in the African-American community, decided to fake a hate crime. Even though he wasn't charged in, in Chicago, and even that's under investigation by the FBI and the Department of Justice right now, um, come on, it doesn't take a genius to realize, you know, when you hire two African-American men to assault you and you've got the noose still around your neck when the police show up, it's negative 30 degrees outside when you're assaulted and you're eating the sandwich that you were carrying when you get assaulted. Last time I checked, when someone assaults me and I'm carrying a sandwich, my sandwich is going to be in a billion different pieces because I'm not, I'm not going to allow someone to assault me. You know, I'm, my sandwich, I'm not going to throw my sandwich off to the side. No, 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 no. It, I won't have time to do that. My, and even if I did that, my sandwich would be, you know, destroyed. So again, um, then, so the more we have people wanting to make the allegation of racism, and I think the reason why we are seeing such a huge increase in this, this need to throw racism back on the fire, to get it back in front of the American people, is I think it's because we're seeing less and less racism in this country. Um, a great video to watch is uh, Is American Racist by Larry Elder, an African-American man, um, on PragerU. I highly recommend you go watch it. Um, if I could include a link, I would. It's a great video. He really covers it very well. Um, in fact, he goes on to talk about, you know, 87% of Americans support biracial marriages, whereas... 50 years ago, it was 4%. Um, in fact, 12% of all marriages in America now are biracial and on the rise, whereas it was illegal until Loving v. Virginia, so it, which was in 1967. So you see what I'm saying? Um, it's, it's one of those things. We are overwhelmingly become a post-racist society even to the fact that 47% of Americans back in the 1950s said that they would not vote for an African-American for president. And yet in 2008, we have a, pre a president who won with a large majority and in 2012, an even larger majority. And let me remind you, it wasn't African-Americans who got him elected. It was white people who got him elected. We, white people, blacks only make 13% of the population. Whites at I mean, Hispanics are making a huge head, headway, and they will be the dominant race in America uh, within the next 20 years. But, again, whites are still the dominant race in America, and they voted for a black president. So we are a post-racial society, and I think 
you don't win elections if you are a progressive and a leftist by saying everything's okay. Especially when you see that the African-American community is experiencing success in their life right now, um, and they, they abandon ship, quote-unquote, to vote for President Trump. Um, I think that's why you see this increase of racists. Everything's a racist comment now. Everything's a racist comment. And I think it's going to have a negative effect. I, think, I don't think it's going to be as, as effective as I think it'll be. That being said, and I want to make sure I say all of this, we, have, we still have a lot of work to do. But I will tell you this. We will never eradicate racism. And the reason why we will never eradicate racism in, in our society is because, again, racism is not an ignorance issue. It is not a race issue. It's not indicative to one race or another. It's a human issue. It is, it is a result of the corruption of the human heart because of sin. God did not create 17 different races. He created one. He created the human race. And our rebellion against him is a big reason why we have racism in the world today. Well, that concludes today's class. Um, I hope it was informative. I hope you learned something. And again, I will see you next, or maybe we'll listen to each other next time.